resort. You are now tuned into Pulse Pounding with Mickey Dillon. This week's guest is a West Coast singer-songwriter whose path to music making has not been an easy one. In just a few short years, he's transitioned from full-time student to engineer to model to aspiring artist. You may have seen him on your For You page reworking a Shawn Mendes song, apologizing to your next ex-boyfriend, or most recently, channeling a flight attendant headed for a fiery death via crash landing. (laughs) Hayden is here. Wow, that's so eclectic. I feel like an antique shop of a human after hearing all of that in one thing you know it's a nice mix of many different things yeah i hopefully my music will start demonstrating how (laughs) wondering my path to it has been i think it's starting to a little bit a little bit yeah well thank you so much for being here what has a day in the life of hayden been like today um wow what an interesting it's a new one i'm trying that out on you i've never asked something like that before (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> that's inter- it's it's more interesting like what did you do today mm-hmm. you know it's like well, what's a day in the life of you adds a certain intensity that i actually appreciate because otherwise i would just be like i had a good day <laughs> um i i woke up sort of early i usually wake up at around like 8 30 or 9 mm-hmm. today i woke up at 8 30 um and i do all of my social interactions in the form of hot girl walks um <laughs> around my neighborhood or on hikes and stuff so i saw that i did my my daily social interaction via um a hike that's near my neighborhood mm-hmm. and um got a coffee with them talked about life i just got done with a session like 5 6 minutes ago that was um at my place and that that's it i guess i wrote a song and got a coffee and went on a hawker walk and then after this i'm probably going to go on another walk to just digest the day i like that hot girl walk i'm going to start using that to motivate me to get my fat ass out of the house there you go i mean apparently all the hot girls are doing it just trying to channel their energy (laughs) (laughs) i don't think i'm walking tonight though it snowed here for the first time all season and everyone Whoa. is pretending that they're not upset about it, but no one in New York likes the snow. If you're, unless you're not from here, yeah. I mean, walking in New York is a different thing too. It's a whole different animal. Like yeah. uh, out here, I mean, if you get just a few minutes outside of the city or the like downtown, you're basically not in LA anymore. So it's all spread out. I have a mountain like at the bit. I'm at the base of a mountain, but I'm very much so in LA. That's kind of fun. Yeah, yeah, it's interesting. I love that it's seemingly promotes mental health but everybody out here is mentally ill and so <laughs> juxtaposition is really exciting <laughs> i feel like that's the vibe and theme of la everyone's promoting something that they're not sure of themselves and that's why it gets the rep of being fake talk to me about growing up in california what was that like that's like the life stream of mine that i never got was growing up in yeah. california <laughs> well what's interesting about california is it's so long that you get Every, you can get any type of state all within California. You, you can get like trailer park hick type environment, which is half of my family. And then I'm part Mexican. So I have another part of my family that's Mexican. And I grew up in the Central Valley, which is right in the middle of California. And it's not a very cute area. It's like mostly uh, there's a lot of gang violence and drug trafficking and human trafficking and all this stuff. So I grew up one of the sort of few white looking kids in my school uh, or in my, in the, my classes as far as I remember. And then we slowly moved South as my mom could afford to essentially, cause I had a single mom a lot growing up. 
And uh, so I've lived both the Southern California life and then the other parts of the California life. And they are drastically different. Um, and I much prefer the Southern California life mm-hmm. rolling out of bed, going to the beach. That's very much so a thing. I had a similar experience too, because like I, I've always lived by the beach. I'm like an hour outside of New York city. So I'm not really in the city. And I feel like it doesn't make sense to me when I talk to people from like middle America or like these spots where they just don't understand the concept of the beach being so close. It makes no sense to me. So I got a little bit of that because I was like seven or eight hours away from the beach growing up. So the beach just wasn't a thing. Oh, wow. Um, but whenever you did it, you had to be out there for a few days to justify the drive. Right. And I moved around a lot, but all within the Central Valley. So um, I was changing schools and, and making new friends constantly and adapting to that situation um, and moved to Southern California like right before high school. You had a lot going on career-wise before you settled into music. You graduated from the University of Southern California and you were working in aerospace engineering and living in your car? Yeah. So timeline-wise, I lived in my car for my first year of college before moving to LA for, for, for eventually college. Um, I got out of high school and went to community college for the first year. I got into UFC out of high school, but deferred because I just couldn't afford to move yet. And um, lived in my car then, started playing guitar. It's just a side hobby while living in my car. Mm-hmm. And um, took that with me to LA, was continuing to study to be an aerospace engineer, looking uh, or, or doing internships and for SpaceX and Oh shit. Lots of science stuff. And then uh, started skipping a lot of class because I loved playing guitar. And it was something that I felt like I was doing just for me. Mm-hmm. Whereas engineering felt like it was something that I sort of had to do or, or something that would have been economically uh, wise of me to do because I had a lot of student loans. And uh, eventually transferred out of that in my third year into music business and then sped through that program, did the whole four year program in like a year and a half. Wow. And graduated on time. Uh, which was last May, so not too long ago. Uh, that kinds of kind of brings us to present. Okay, what about modeling? Because you were modeling for a while too. Where did that oh, come in? That's right. Yeah, that was. Uh, I got signed out of high school, or, or when I was seventeen, I got signed to a modeling agency. And when you're under eighteen, you have to have your parent there with you mm-hmm. um, a lot of the time. So my mom would chaperone with me uh, to the modeling agency, and I was doing gigs in my senior year of high school once again, had to skip a good amount of class until my school basically threatened that I was not going to be able to walk if I skipped any more days. Um, and then lived in my car was a model at the same time. And that was the first time that I traveled to LA really. Mm -hmm. So it was my introduction to the creative society of LA in a way, which is a sort of weird sector, I think to enter through because modeling is not really like any other industry on the planet. Right. So weird mix of a bunch of things. Is it something that you enjoyed while you were doing or were you just doing it as like a placeholder to make some money while you were going through school? Is it something that you thought you were going to continue to pursue? No, I I grew up, I, I was an attention whore growing up. So I just, <laughs> I love, I did a bunch of different hobbies. I played a bunch of different sports. And so modeling was something that I wasn't really looking for and, and then started doing it. And it was just a means for me to be like, whoa, this is really cool. And I'm so impressive. And I'm uh, an engineer who's modeling, who lives in their car. Like I did um, Germany's Next Top Model was on a couple episodes of that. Mm -hmm. And uh, when everybody went back to their hotel rooms or to their houses nearby the set, I just slept in my car on the lot, basically. It's crazy. I woke up in the morning and got out of bed and shot the next day of the shoot. 
And um, that I just wanted to be as, I think, weird as possible just because I thought it sounded interesting. <laughs> I lived a lot of my life for the plot, essentially. Yeah. Um, and it wasn't until a couple years ago where I feel like I came to and was like, I should probably figure out what I actually like as a human. So was music something that you always wanted to pursue? Like what made you jump to that next? I think it was a, a little bit random, honestly. I, I never pursued music when I was younger. I think I played guitar a little bit, but it was just learning my favorite cover songs. Once again, just to get the attention of like my mom. Um, and so I would play cover songs and then I'd put it away and didn't touch it again until that first year of college. And I picked it up because I was looking for a hobby and I think it honestly could have been anything. Like if I had seen a person play chess and I, I suddenly could have possibly picked that up. I was just looking for something to call my own Mm -hmm. because engineering wasn't that, and I wasn't getting some kind of fulfillment. So it just started as a hobby. And I realized that in five or six years of being an engineer or doing that, I couldn't really contribute anything to it. It's just, it's a long career. And with music, I don't know how to play guitar, but I can play a few chords right now and immediately contribute something. Right. Uh, which felt a lot more satisfying to me and a lot more gratifying. So all the work I was putting into it immediately came back to me in the form of fulfillment, which was dope. What's your first memory of discovering music? Hmm. Uh, This is very math science of me, but I didn't feel like I could play guitar or try to do anything musical without having an understanding, a deep understanding of the history of music. So Mm -hmm. I listened to like, every decade of music since I think the 1910s um, to now for guitar players. So I started with like really early blues records and would listen to what they were doing and try to mimic it and develop my own style from that. So I was listening to anything from, from uh, Robert Johnson to BB King Mm -hmm. to, to Jimi Hendrix and then kind of did the same thing when I started writing songs, went back to listen to Bob Dylan and, Joni Mitchell and Bruce Springsteen and studied all of them. So my earliest memories is just finding as old as songs as I could listen to and just looping them on my way to thermodynamics class. <laughs> I felt like that a lot when I was listening to Etta James. I think it was in high school when I first oh, yeah. really like got into the 60s kind of soul music. And I remember oh, right. like it was just off from there. I would go to the record store all the time and get the vinyls because I wanted like the authentic listening experience for sure sure. and i feel like that helped shape like my music taste you know when you come out of high school or come out of your hometown too you basically just listened to whatever your parents listened to in the car or whatever your friends were listening to and to come out of there with nobody to influence it it's fun to see what you gravitate towards because it's the first choice that you're making as conscious human sort of so it influences a lot about what you do who's making music right now that you're listening to Mm, i listen to I listen to Arctic Monkeys a good amount. Um, I listen to Cautious Clay is really good. Mm, he's great. Yes. Yeah. Cautious Great Clay is super dope. Actually, I can just look at my Spotify. Let's see, <laughs> Let's see what we're listening to these days. Um, I, be- I listen to a lot of music because I make music now. It's hard for me to listen to it without thinking about it. Right. And so I intentionally really only listen to music that makes me feel something. Like, I just want to be able to turn my brain off when I listen to it. Otherwise, it feels like work. Right. Um, so I've been listening a lot to drum roll. <laughs> okay. Yeah. I've been listening to 
they don't really make music anymore. A lot of old people. Uh, Backseat Lovers is dope. Love Backseat Lovers. Their music is great. Um, the Dare is a new artist that's really cool, based in New York. Um, I listen to a lot of Ben Howard. I think it's still making music. Uh, Bonnie Vare, Hozier, Arctic Monkeys, and Coldplay. Old Coldplay, though. Oh, yeah, same. Yeah, weird, weird mix. Parachutes is like the only album that exists to me from Coldplay. <laughs> I, what I love about Parachutes is it's basically just like a Radiohead ripoff. You can hear uh, the influence. Hear doing like Tom York impression while he's singing. And I just think that that's so funny. I, I feel like you don't develop your style as an artist in any craft, whether it's music or not, um, until you realize that you're not going to be your heroes. And so like you figure out your style in the failure of mimicking somebody else's. Mm-hmm. And so I developed my own style of writing and stuff by being bad at copying my heroes. Um, and I'm still figuring out my style, honestly, but I'm getting closer with every song. That I, I feel like that's a lot of entertainment though. Like when you start, you don't really know exactly what you're doing. So you're just pulling, pulling. right from people that have inspired yeah. you or people you really like until you figure out your own style. And I feel like that's part of what's missing in the music industry now, because there's so much less of artist development and so much more yeah. of right now, you know? Yeah. There's so many You're singles. You do it on your own. Yeah, right. And there's so many singles and EPs that you listen to that is someone's first project that's putting being put in front of such a large audience. And that's different. Yeah. But I agree with you. I think it's the same way that humans are that in general. Like when you're a baby, when you're a kid, you're just, you're taking in the world. Like one day you realize that you have hands and you're like, holy crap, these are crazy. What is this? And, you know, in the next you're in second grade and you're figuring out what social situations are. And I derived my personality as a kid by watching like talk show interviews Mm -hmm. and looking at what I thought was an interesting personality and like taking little hints of it. Same with TV shows. I love, I would mimic those. And that's probably because I moved around a lot and just wanted people to like me. So I was kind of using personalities as uh, tools in my toolkit, which is bad. (laughs) I wouldn't recommend it. Um, But it's, it is a, a good metaphor for the same thing that happens in music. Okay, so last year you drop your debut EP, Good Grief, five songs. What was the first song that you recorded for it? The first we, I think the first song that I had for it was Wasted. Mm-hmm. Um, and the but the the first song that we finished completely for it was Can't Hurt Me. Last year's project was very very spontaneous. I didn't have any time to plan anything. There was no. There was no world building or anything, which is very different to how I'm making music now. Mm-hmm. Um, but I was fighting on my back all of last year. And um, I would write a song, put it on the internet, and then people would like it. And then I'd be like, oh God, like I got to record the song now. I got to put it out and stuff. And then I would do it again. And then the next, the very next song that I wrote, would that same thing would happen. I'd be like, fuck, fuck, fuck. So I was constantly just playing catch up for like all of 2022. And it was exhausting. It really exciting. And it, it, introduced me to a lot of new people and stuff, mm-hmm. but I'm excited to just make an entire project at once now yeah. and work on it. It was can't hurt me purely by necessity because it went viral and I was like, oh, I don't know what to do. Do you write all your songs on the guitar? Yeah. Yeah. Up until this point, uh, all of my songs start with me in a room alone with an acoustic guitar. And then I, uh, the songs that I end up usually releasing are either ones that I just finish all the way by myself or I bring a person that I know and to help me tidy it up or I'll bring it to a random person that I'm supposed to write with and be like, Hey, here's an idea. 
and then we'll finish it together. Do you remember your first attempt at songwriting? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it was brutal. Because <laughs> I was, was going to say, was it bad? <laughs> yeah, it was so bad. I mean, I've written, I've really not written that many songs. A lot of my friends have like, you got to write 400 songs before you get a good one. But I've, I've written like maybe 60 songs in my life. Right. So I'm really new to it. But my first one was about me trying to describe the feeling of having uh, two alternate career paths. Like I was an engineer and then I loved music. And mm -hmm. so I was literally separating, like I had the right side of my brain towards engineering and the left towards music and feeling like I basically had a split personality because of that. And it was terrible. Like that concept actually seems mildly interesting, but the execution was dog shit. Yeah. The concept <laughs> sounds good. <laughs> yeah. 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 It was, uh, it was at least based off of a feeling that I had. Sorry to your next ex is my favorite from the project. I love that song. Tell me so about much. what inspired that song. It was me like trying to convince myself to be as confident as I was, as I sound in that song. Mm -hmm. And my only regret with that song is that in my marketing of it and in the music video, I'm this like bad boy kid, like swinging a baseball bat, breaking TVs and shit. And I'm not really like that. When I was writing that, I was sitting alone at my desk and like, snickering and sort of like smiling like i don't know if i'm allowed to say this but right. i try to say it and honestly the only thing that could get me through it was trying to write in the style of another artist so i was like rihanna would say this it's clearly not a rihanna song but i was like <laughs> rihanna is fucking sick like she would totally say this yeah so it was me trying to get out of my head and say something that would boost my own confidence um and there's little seeds of that in there like the last chorus is um so hello to the next dex i hope you like a train wreck uh, maybe she'll be different. I wouldn't quite expect it, but for your sake, I hope I'm wrong. Cause maybe then I was the cause and little things like that. Are just like, I think that I'm actually the problem in these situations, situations and me writing in this way is more of a defense mechanism mm -hmm. than it is an actual, um, uh, a story about how I really feel, but it, uh, it was, it was successful in making me feel confident about myself that day. And I think, uh, hopefully it made other people feel confident too. Is that the first one that started to blow up? Uh, Can't Hurt Me blew up first. Um, and Sorry to Your Next Text was literally the next song that mm -hmm. I wrote after Can't Hurt Me. So I wrote Can't Hurt Me, teased it. It got like 1.5 million views on TikTok, uh, 2 million views on Instagram, and uh, 20,000 pre-saves, whatever that means nowadays. Uh, <laughs> I don't really understand that either. <laughs> they're They're like a myth. They're they're silly. Yeah. Um, but yeah, it had that. And then we dropped Can't Hurt Me. The music industry completely didn't like even notice it. Whenever you drop music, typically the, the music industry, if they know about it, they'll support it by putting it on their own playlist, right. like, writing stories about it, blah, blah, blah. Completely flew under the radar in the music industry, but the fans uh, ate it up, thankfully. And it did, uh, it did far better than anything that I could have expected at the time. And then the very next song was sorry to your next sex. And that basically doubled everything. Right. Numbers wise. I also like, uh, wasted a lot too, but there Thanks. seems like there's an underlying theme of like a manipulative controlling relationship where someone wants mm -hmm. to lock you up in the house. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yeah, definitely. That was, uh, that was, I was, I was writing these songs thinking that I was writing about my, uh, ex at the time, but mm -hmm. I, was more so writing about the relationship that I was in at the time of writing them and didn't realize it until I wrote the song, good grief. And in the second verse, I say, um, uh, 
I hope or I hope that you'll make this stop because on or I hope that this will stop because I'll never be the one to make it. I'd rather write a song and say it's about my ex and tell you how much I hate this. Mm-hmm. And when I wrote that, I was like, oh, I think I'm actually writing about the relationship that I'm currently in. Right. And then in denial of that fact. So wasted was sort of exemplifying or more so personifying that feeling of just being held down potentially by some that I was outgrowing in right. a way. They didn't want me to be my friends. They didn't want me to have outside opinions to tell them that they weren't good for me and they felt easily threatened. So I really just sat in my room a lot of the nights. My friends were out partying or the people that I wanted to be friends with and all these people, I had gone viral. So I knew people on the internet now for the first time and I was just seeing them having a good time living their lives. Mm -hmm. And I'm sitting in bed like next to this person that I'm supposed to love and didn't feel as though I could see those people or, or go out into the outside world because it would have made this other person threatened. Was your ex really swiping up on your stories the way you depict and dump him? <laughs> Dude, verbatim. Verbatim. That was like my most specific song. It's so specific. What was she saying? I don't know how much of this I should get into. Um, <laughs> Give it, us what we so want. True, it's so true. It's it is my ex had a new ha, had slash has a new boyfriend and she would still reach out to me and still tell me that they, that they were thinking about me and were so proud of me and were having dreams about me and things like that. And I, I wouldn't respond to them because I'm just like, I'm the kind of person that when they, when I move on, I move on, like I'm out. Right. Um, and in the back of my head, the whole time I was thinking, I was like, you have a boyfriend right now. Like he has to know about this. And if he doesn't, he's definitely not happy about it. Right. You should probably dump him. Uh, Cause I feel for the dude. And so that song really came from a place of sympathy for, her boyfriend, which is why I think in some of the videos, I was like, I wrote the song about my ex, but for her new boyfriend. Right. That couldn't be more true. Did she reach out after these songs came out? Bet she did. It was always, uh, it was always positive though. I don't think whether uh, maybe, maybe she connected the dots. I don't know. Right. But never was uh, scornful at all. It was just once again, like thinking about you and proud, like that the song didn't stop from reaching out basically right so you were talking about how you kind of realized after some of the songs you were writing that in your head you were thinking were about your last relationship that it was more so about the relationship that you were in right now so what do you think is the hardest part about leaving a relationship that you start to realize isn't working Mm. This is a, this this question feels tailor-made to me because i'm i'm really bad at leaving situations that aren't good for me uh to quote perks of being a wallflower you accept the love you think you deserve and i'm more comfortable with anxiety and um than i am with peace and i'm just now for the first time in my life i think coping with my happiness because i don't really have a reason to be upset unless i basically make it Mm self-inflicted um so the hardest part in the relationship is i hate feeling like a bad person for wanting to move on and for not feeling the way that I did at the beginning and for feeling like I outgrew the person or, or became somebody that they no longer um, see themselves in or, or, or could love. Mm-hmm. And so I can't get over like the moral block of, of that dynamic in general. It's difficult for me. I will move on while in the relationship, grieve the loss of that relationship while still in it, just to hold on to the hope that potentially maybe the, the, it will work or to prevent myself from having to be the bad guy that ends this. Mm-hmm. Um, but eventually 
I mean, for for both people, it should come to an end. All right, let's talk about the new single, Flight Attendant, which dropped earlier this month. It's a little different style-wise than Good Grief. It's a little more raw and emotional. Um, The opening lyrics are, I feel like a flight attendant on a plane going down. There's no need to panic as we plummet towards the ground, even though I know we're doomed. That is a very heavy comparison in reference to a relationship. So where were you and what was going through your head when you started to write this song? Um, I had just watched an interview uh, of Benny Blanco, who's a music producer and mm-hmm. songwriter who wrote like, I kissed a girl by Katy Perry. Yeah. Those really, really hits. Um, and he said, he was talking about just his fear of flying in general. And he takes ships everywhere. Anytime he has to go on tour. Oh, that's crazy. It's a, a cruise ship. Yeah. It's nuts. Um, and he was describing the idea that he was like, when you're in a plane and the flight attendant looks worried, you know that you're in trouble. Right. Like the turbulence is so bad and they're freaking out because the whole job of a flight attendant is to keep everyone calm. Mm-hmm. Everyone keep calm. There's no need to panic. <laughs> and I felt like in him talking about that and in the place I was at emotionally that I felt like I was the flight attendant of my own life. I was trying to calm myself down and, and convince myself that things weren't as bad as they were. Mm-hmm. And in that relationship, much like I described, I could be grieving the loss of it, but still trying to hold it together. Nonetheless, I feel like I'm the glue in most of my relationships. And so I was sitting on my manager's porch in Nashville with an acoustic guitar and a cup of coffee. I had just watched that interview um, and started playing the opening chords to the song. And that kind of just poured out of me. Like, I don't, I literally don't remember writing that down specifically. It was just like the first thing I said, I feel like a flight attendant. That was it. I was like, okay, how can we work backwards? Why do you feel like a flight attendant? Well, it feels like this relationship is crashing and burning, Mm -hmm. but holding on to it for some reason. And the story kind of just unfolded from there. I feel like that's where the best stuff comes from when it kind of just like spills out and you don't really know where it came from. It doesn't happen to me often, honestly. Mm-hmm. I, I feel like I think a lot harder than I am talented. Like I just think about a lot of things constantly. And um, in that case, it was just the first thing that came to mind. And I honestly love writing songs with a weird first line because I like having to work backwards from that puzzle. That's kind of cool. Um, like, sorry to your next ex just started as like a line. And I was like, sorry to your next ex. What the what does that even mean? Right. And, I, and as you know, a listener is listening to it and figuring it out. That's what it was like for me writing it. It's like I'm figuring out what I'm saying as I'm saying it. And then once I get to the point, I can, you know, revise everything and make sure that it feels cohesive. That's such a cool way of starting something like that. I like that. Yeah, just say something weird and then figure it out from there. Like, yeah. Who can like a title or like a line. Yeah. And see what that means. Yeah. And some of them probably don't turn into anything. And then some of them yeah. turn into songs like that. Yeah. For initially flight attendant was called no heart for you to break. Cause that's kind of the punchline of the chorus. Mm-hmm. But the number one thing that everybody was saying about it was they love the first verse because it just felt so visceral and real. And it was the number one thing that they remembered. And flight attendant was sort of a, it was a more interesting name for a song than no heart for you to break. And yeah. it wasn't really about the no heart for you to break. It was about feeling like somebody that should keep it together despite having every reason not to. It's also really interesting when you hear that verse for the first time, like I started to visualize it in my head, what you were saying. Yeah. And then when you yeah, kind of so. connect it and realize where it's going, it's clever. Right. Like it pulls a reaction, you know? Yeah. Yeah. But you still believe in it. Like that's just right. Like, oh, 
oh, that's what he's talking about. Right. Yeah. I had a combination of being like, oh, that makes sense. And then also laughing because it was kind of funny. Yeah. No, I'm, <laughs> I, uh, I'm now realizing that when I'm writing songs, I know it's a good song when I'm laughing while writing it. Yeah. And I'm now trying to incorporate that into my marketing because before I was so serious about it. And I was like, I write all these songs, even if it's emotional, I could be crying, but I will giggle mid cry because this is just... <laughs> So you also toured last year as an opener for Scary Pool Party. Were these your first live shows? Um, I had done a few live shows here and there, but playing in LA is different than playing um, in other places. I would imagine you could agree in New York. If you go to see a live show, people are by the coast are like a little bit too cool to be feeling things during a show unless they're like young, um, like teenagers and stuff. But older people kind of look at shows and they're like, yeah, it's really good. Blah, 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 mm-hmm. blah. But you go to Denver and you play a song and you'll see like, I always talk about one guy specifically, he had biceps the size of my head and had tattoos and he was like crying to a song about me killing my inner child. And I just was like, this would never happen in LA. Mm-hmm. LA people are judging you while you're on stage. It doesn't even matter if they're in the music industry or not. There's this, this weird tension in the air um, where they just think that they're, they could do what you're doing or they're kind of, analyzing you so uh tour was a great introduction to people just being willing to feel music and connect to it yeah yeah and then when i came to la on that tour and played it the la show went phenomenal because i had spent the entire tour connecting with people and figured out how to do that and to make it feel genuine so the la show went a lot better that's so funny i was just watching a video i saw on instagram of like a music company that did this video interviewing people on the street asking if they thought the music scene in LA or New York was better. And everyone said New York, even the people who were from LA. It was pretty funny that you brought that up. I'll have to send that to you. I was cracking up watching it. It was so great. Yeah. I actually, I have a running joke that everyone in LA just pretends that they're from New York. Like if you're cool, <laughs> you're just dressing a little bit more New York. Yeah. You know, if you're cool, you're, you know, listening to more New York eccentric tastes and stuff. People in New York like to take risks because they just don't have the time to care about, you know, what people think about them a lot of time. So, um, I, and I'm guilty of that too. Honestly, I try to dress a little bit more New York. All my for you pages <laughs> are like New York based art and fashion it. and stuff. So I'm envious. Well, I also think it's such a weird environment in LA because it's like, there's such a concentration of like people trying to make it in some kind of entertainment. There's so many people in one spot trying to do the same thing that like half the people who will show up to your show and they're out of venue are trying to do the same thing that you're doing. So they almost have like a bad attitude towards you. Yeah. You know, those TikToks of like the teenage girl, it's like me in the crowd watching Harry Styles, not giving him attention (laughs) that he'll want me. That's everyone in LA. I swear to God, everyone's just like, that's good, I guess. Like blah, blah, blah. Just because they're too, you know, they're thinking about it too much. It's so wild. Um, are you going to do more shows this year? Yeah, I'm hoping to go on tour again this year. I would like to tour uh, every year that I can, mm-hmm. just as a reminder of why I do this. Right. Because prior to this last tour, I was just a kid in his bedroom with a phone and a guitar. And afterwards, I felt like I had a sense of purpose, which was just to connect with myself to such a degree that everyone in the audience felt the excuse to do the same with themselves. And... um I, yeah, I just want to, I guess, continue to ground myself with that realization. So uh, I, I have a feeling we're going out again this year um, to tour this next record. 
Well, it's also really crazy that you've been doing music for what, like almost two years now? Yeah, about yeah, about two years. Yeah, yeah, and you've already generated such a crazy buzz on TikTok and Instagram and all these different platforms. Um, what do you think did that for you so quickly? Um, it never feels quick in the sh- in, in like in my shoes. I was playing guitar for six hours a day. Like I, because I was so late to it, I wasn't the kid that like wrote songs since they were five or was putting on performances at their local talent shows. I, I wasn't that. Mm -hmm. And so I feel late to the game essentially. So I think about everything. I think a lot more than the average artist, um, at least in my experience. And I plan a lot and I'm constantly, um, just thinking about ways to, to get better and so I was just working really hard. Like my, my talent to hard work ratio greatly skews towards hard work for that reason. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I was just posting a TikTok a day every day. I was posting a TikTok a day every day for almost a year with no success at all. And I was just stubborn as shit. And I was like, it's going to work. It's going to work. Mm-hmm. And eventually I, fe- I realized that the only way it was going to work is if I gave people a reason to watch me. And it's the same with live shows it's the same with anything you do as an artist you have to give people a reason otherwise they won't um and that realization flipped a switch for me i think right but that's also something like work ethic and sticking with something that you're passionate about is such an important lesson to learn and i feel like so many people give up on things too quickly and that's why they don't see any result you know even with what i'm doing now like i've seen so many people start similar ideas or similar projects and they just don't see the numbers that they're looking for immediately so they just quit but i don't know what it is maybe it's social media maybe it's like a societal change i don't know what it is that is put in people's heads that things are going to happen fast it it just doesn't work yeah, like yeah. that yeah i mean the world doesn't owe anybody anything um and that's why I, from the beginning it wasn't really about I mean, I'm, a, I was an attention. I still am an attention. Whore. <laughs> All artists are. Um, but it wasn't about, I think the immediate satisfaction looking back for me, I wasn't like 700 views was a big deal to me right. at the time. And so like that, that kept me going, but it was also just the idea that I could prove, like I wanted to prove to myself that I was capable of doing it. Mm-hmm. And it kind of comes back to that all the time. I feel like I write songs to prove to myself that I can not because I need like, I mean, I need therapy, but <laughs> I'm not doing it for a therapeutic release, mm-hmm. you know, as much as some people might. I'm not doing it because I journal a lot or write poems, as wrote poems as a kid. It's just, uh, I think I'm just really stubborn and and need to be productive in order to feel valuable as a human. So mm-hmm. this is my way of getting that out. Is Flight Attendant a standalone single or is it part of an upcoming project? Uh, Flight Attendant is just a standalone and it is a bridge between that relationship that inspired the first project and um, where I'm going now. It's it's finally closing the door. I initially thought it was going to be a bonus track on the last project for that reason. Mm-hmm. But within the first five seconds of listening to it, you can tell something's different. Like this isn't the same kid that was swinging a baseball bat in his music video. Right. Um, and because of that, I felt like it was a good song to just stand on its own and because it's not begging you to listen to it, it's kind of more listenable for that reason. Like Mm -hmm. I think that song will probably stand the test of time and you can put it on and it's not ripping you out of your chair. It's, it's just uh, feeling itself, if you will. 
You've also talked kind of openly in some videos that you've made about growing up in a family that battled with addiction. Has that experience affected who you've become in your adult life? Yeah, yeah, definitely. I uh I think I or I have an addictive personality but not towards substances as much as I do towards like productivity and I just if I'm not working or I'm not doing something that feels directly related to work, I punish myself for it internally. Mm-hmm. I'm or you could probably relate whenever you embark on an endeavor like this, it's usually because we're a little bit masochistic. Um, and I moved around a lot because of at home turbulence and stuff growing up. And so that greatly shaped my personality and I think forced me to be a bit more independent and grow up a bit quicker. Um, and also I think it resonates in my personality now wanting to be the glue and things I wanted to hold mm-hmm. my family together. I wanted to be, the the young man at the house and yeah I, uh, with music it's kind of a similar thing yeah I relate to that a lot everything you just said I feel like applies to my own life as well so what is the worst experience you've had that led to writing a great song interesting interesting question <laughs> I was high when I wrote that <laughs> but I think I still like yes. it <laughs> that's dope that's so dope um and worst experience has resulted in a song. Hmm. I don't want to cop out of this. Wasted was kind of brutal. Like I felt like a, uh, a I was forced into rest reclusivity in mm-hmm. a way. Mm-hmm. Um, that entire last relationship. I'm also not really the type to, I don't like talking about relationships very much in person. I'm not really a relationship oriented person but I am a person oriented person. I learn almost everything about myself up until this point. I have learned everything about myself through my relationship with others. Mm-hmm. And so now I'm trying to figure out who I am without other people. And that's a whole other endeavor. And my music, my, my new music kind of touches on that. Mm-hmm. So I think that that last relationship severely traumatized me in the way that I found out the type of person that I go to in in stress and the type of person that I become in stress um, I wrote a song recently as well that the first verse is, is talking about how I used to base my childhood personalities off of talk show interviews and stuff like that. And I think that just a result of my household and moving around a lot, um, it kind of turned me into a chameleon more than a human, like a, and, and so writing about that's interesting. This is fascinating. <laughs> Worst experience. Song. I, uh, I haven't released much music, so I'd, I don't think I have anything super pertinent yet, mm. but I'm going to think on that more. What is your favorite and least favorite part of performing? Mm. Least favorite part is it costs so much money to perform. Mm-hmm. Oh my God. Going on tour is so expensive. Playing individual shows is so expensive and the artists don't really make anything. So whenever an artist is playing a show, it's usually a passion project. They're not going to be making a bunch of money. People that believe that you can make money, like making money off of touring is the only way to make money in the music industry. Severely misinformed. Um, my favorite thing about it is it remind it, it gives me like a new sense of purpose, like I was talking about earlier. Mm-hmm. And it kind of forces me to be the most authentic version of myself. Cause when you're playing multiple shows in multiple cities, if you're trying to read the room every single night, it's exhausting. You'll melt under the pressure, right? The pressure of the whole situation. So me being witty and talking and bantering between songs, like it seems as though people reacted and resonated with me just cracking jokes in between songs than they did with my music. And it was, it, they bounced off of each other beautifully. And so um, getting to showcase 
just my quirkier, like normal self yeah. on stage in front of people and then be accepted for that is such a, a an unbelievable high. It's really exciting. Well, it's also hard to be in the position you're in and especially where you were on that tour where you're the opener and people mm. are there to see another artist. And so right. I feel like that makes sense that they connect more to the person in front of them than the music yeah. that they don't really know. So I feel like right. that'll probably change a lot as you grow and as you move further into your career. I would say too, uh, an interesting hot take I learned was it's actually really fun opening for another artist because the stakes are so low. Because mm-hmm. you know, if things aren't going well, all you do is say the headliner's name and everyone cheers. Yeah, right. Like, Dude, that's exciting, right? And I'm also <laughs> a fan of usually whoever I'm opening for. So it's so easy. Um, but it was, yeah, it was, it's low stakes. You just get to like be a person. And a lot of opening acts don't realize that they just get up there and they just play their songs and they get off. So mm-hmm. people aren't, if you want to win people over, be a person, right? That's how you do that. Music is a, a great extension of that, but, uh, in a live environment, they can barely hear what you're saying because it's live, you know, and they are going to be much more, they're going to be left with a much stronger impression mm-hmm. if you are personable and they like you as a person. Wait, so I also read somewhere on your Instagram, I believe you posted stuff about the tour, but then you also posted that you had sent Alejandro a DM yeah. years prior and that you were actually right. a fan first. So tell me more about that. Yeah, he was when he was on American Idol, for those of you who don't know, he was on American Idol did really, really well on the show. And he's just a savant guitarist. He's an unbelievable guitarist. He's an unbelievable vocalist and pianist. Mm -hmm. Um, And just an all around incredibly talented human. So he was a homeless dishwasher before he went on Idol, went super far, became America's little sweetheart for a while. Mm -hmm. Um, And at that time, I had yet to start playing guitar. I had yet to start being a musician. And I also had yet to ever see American Idol in my life. So when his audition went viral, I saw it. And like the uh, overly exuberant fan that I was, mm-hmm. DM him a paragraph. I was like, you're unbelievable. You're a genius. I'm uh, incredibly blown away. Keep doing what you're doing. Don't let anybody drag you down, blah, blah, blah. He didn't respond because why would he? Like I was probably one <laughs> of 100,000 people that sent him that message that day. Um, but when I went, when I got offered his tour and went to go DM him, just be like, yo, I'm Hayden. Nice to meet you. I'm super excited to go on tour with you. I had known about who he was, but I forgot about the DM Mm -hmm. and saw our DMs and saw that he didn't reply. So I gave him shit for that. But then I also screenshotted it because it was like such a beautiful full circle. Full circle moment. Yeah, that's awesome. Yeah, it was it was very cool. Going back to what you were talking about before, if touring is not the way to make money in the music industry, what is? Hmm. Because if it's not streaming and it's not touring, of course there's merch. Merch, mer- I mean, your merch is only as successful as, as your tour most of the time. Um, and and the problem with artistry in general is that everything that you do costs money to do. Mm-hmm. And so it's like any other business. You have to pour a ton of capital into it in order to get anything out. And that's why touring, you don't make money off of it. Because right now with the economy, it costs more to tour than it does. Like you don't make that much money back. So you end up being in the negative merch you end up being in the positive a lot of the time but it costs a ton of money to start merch mm-hmm. so i have merch now and it's a lot of money to just get stuff printed and designed and all that streaming you do make money off of but you have to do pretty well to do that like you're not going to see any substantial revenue until you hit a million streams on a song mm-hmm. um, and i've been lucky enough to be able to live off of my music 
um, because of just the songs from the last record, but mm-hmm. without the TikTok virality and the Instagram virality and people listening to the songs, I wouldn't be able to, but uh, there's not a surefire answer. People make some money off of sync, which is like whenever a song gets put in a TV show or something, mm-hmm. but that's a really narrow field because your music has to almost be generic enough to go behind another thing. Right. I don't really make music that is generic enough to go behind another thing. Flight attendant might be the first. I was going to say, I don't think it's generic, but I think it would fit into a lot of those like yeah. emotional all my, television scenes. All my other, I agree. All my, we actually are getting it. Uh, we're, we're, we're pitching it for sync right now, which is exciting. But um, all my other music was trying to rip you out of your seat. Right. So um, with flight attendant being such an easy listening experience, it could probably go behind some stuff, which yeah. is exciting. That is really cool. What's the accomplishment that you're most proud of so far? I think I'm most proud of being having been able to emotionally affect people that I don't know. I mean, tour was a very, very eye-opening experience for me. Like that dude that I told you about with the big biceps and the tattoos who cried, like that is crazy to me. Uh, I'm, I'm happy and uh, honored that I was able to have any kind of a profound impact on somebody. And it was the first time that I've seen it in real life. Mm-hmm. Like, Social media feels like a video game until you're in person with people. So I was so used to just like playing Fortnite essentially with TikTok and trying to beat my numbers and stuff that um, I, I didn't have any idea what I was really doing it for. So I think I'm most proud of that. What is your greatest hope for your future and what is your greatest fear? I'm a very fear oriented person. So I'll answer that first. Me too. <laughs> Yeah, I'm very motivated by the anxiety of failure. Yes, yes. Um, and disappointing myself more than anyone else. Amen. There's I some people I want to prove wrong in certain senses, but that's way less important than like me seeing me not achieve what I thought I could and wanted. Oh my gosh. Not being able to live up to your own potential is yes. huge. Yeah, I couldn't. And nobody can critique me as hard as I critique myself. 100%. I mean, my biggest fear is that I, I won't be able, that, that people just won't care anymore. That would suck because I think I, so much of this, not, not only because I, I mean, I do need the approval for sure, but it's also like, if I can't pay for doing this and mm-hmm. I can't like, if the engine just runs out of gas, like you can't drive anymore. So I want to be able to do this for as long as possible. Um, and if people stop listening, stop caring then I won't be able to, so it's finding that balance of just trying to connect with myself as much as possible while also giving the people what they want. And I think that at a certain point they intersect. I think that me connecting with myself is all that people want because they want to connect with themselves. And so bringing my music closer to that intersection um, is also what's exciting. There we go. Two parter. (laughs) Um, I'm excited for my music to reflect how I internalize my feelings more as opposed to just making the songs about other people about my relationships, about blah, blah, blah. It's like my relationship with myself matters a lot to me. Um, and it kind of figuring it out matters. So I want the music to also do that. I love that answer. Thanks. Thanks. I just made it up. <laughs> I love it. That's what I do. I just make things up as I go. It's great. Thank you so much for being here and for taking the time out to talk to me. If you're listening to this, make sure you stream the new single flight attendant. Make sure you stream the EP good grief and send us screenshots and let us know what your favorite song is drop all your social media so everybody knows where to find you okay it's very easy i made it very easy on purpose all of my socials are uh, at by hayden b-y-h-a-i-d-e-n and it's just because 
everything that has my name on it is by me in some capacity. So it's a song by Hayden. It's a video by Hayden. It's a blah, blah, blah by Hayden. I love that. I wish all my shit was consistent, but it doesn't always work out that way. It's so difficult. Oh my God. But it's easy once you get it. Yeah. Once you get it, then it's simple. But now I just want to get like at Hayden, but the people won't DM me back. I'm trying to buy it from them and they just won't let me. Wait, I did that once too. I like the username that I wanted, which was just my name. I found somebody who had it and I DM'd him to try to buy it. And honestly, now I'm glad I didn't get it. He can go fuck himself. <laughs> this person, I don't know if they're, they could be 12, so I can't say that, but I don't know. Uh, but I'm equally as frustrated. That's messed up. They should definitely be hitting us back. A hundred percent. So rude. And that was like 2015. What are you doing for all these years? Inactive? That's even worse. Inactive. Yeah. Yeah. That's a middle finger. Oh, so rude. <laughs> 